Samuel Miller, who was the second professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, said this of public prayer. Public prayer is not only a divinely prescribed, but an unspeakably important ordinance. And that both the nature and the means of excellence in the dispensation of this ordinance are such as not only to admit, but to demand appropriate study and careful moral and mental culture. So his point here is public prayer, and he's focusing more on prayer in in a service, is important that it takes careful study and preparation to properly execute it. And so the same is for a corporate prayer meeting, that it takes proper preparation and, and proper diligence in order to have an effective prayer meeting. Pastor Martin says uh, the same thing in his uh, pastoral theology. I quote him, We must give careful attention to our corporate prayer meetings and not assume that they will just happen. And so it it takes uh, some thought and some preparation to have an effective prayer meeting. And so tonight, that's what I, I want to do. It's sort of a smorgasbord of a sermon. I'm going to say everything I've wanted to say that I haven't up to this point. And so hopefully uh, it's coherent in your head uh, and in your heart. Uh, it's really, I, I've, I've entitled it the building blocks because we sort of get practical tonight of how do we actually enact a prayer meeting and and as we get to specifics of what happens in a prayer meeting. So this will be more practical. I have three headings. You'll see that in your your outline there. Heart matters, that a prayer meeting is a spiritual exercise and it takes a certain preparation of our hearts in order to profit uh, most from it. Content matters. What do we pray for? corporately when we gather together, and, and practical matters that I've, I've collected from, from some other writers. So uh, hopefully this coheres in your mind by the end. So look, look at our first heading here of heart matters. Corporate prayer meeting is not an assembly line of just everyone get in place, plug the right parts in, and then out comes something beautiful, as if you can manufacture a prayer meeting, as if you can sort of manage it as you would a business. No, corporate prayer meeting is a spiritual enterprise with the capital S, that we are coming together in our relationship to God, in our relationships to one another, are vital to the effectiveness of the prayer meeting. That we're coming to God and not treating Him as a genie, as if, okay, I, I say these things, God will give me these things. God's a vending machine. We'll just, I, I put in uh, the money and out comes the candy bar. So that's how the prayer meeting is. I, we, we come, we ask, and God gives. So it's not that simple. Our spiritual relationship with God and others matters. This is why, you know, I don't think you see corporate prayer meetings as a strategy for the church growth movement. I've never heard of, a, of an emergent church talk about or emphasize a prayer meeting. Why? They're so impractical in terms of from a managerial perspective. They seem to not accomplish much. They don't seem to be very motivating, but um, they are. But if you have to approach them in the right way. So our spiritual relationship with God and others matters significantly, which means your heart matters, and the preparation of your heart spiritually when you come to corporate prayer meeting is essential. So there are certain, uh, some heart attitudes, some heart matters that are essential to effective corporate prayer. So I want to highlight a few here. When we come to corporate prayer, we must come in purity and holiness. In purity and holiness. Turn with me, if you have your Bible, to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to look at verse, starting in verse 10 here. God is indicting uh, the, the 
Israel of the day, the Judah of the day. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? God's now critiquing the, the, as far as the Jews were from God, they still hadn't stopped all of their temple worship and sacrifice. And God says in verse 11, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I have had enough of burnt offerings and of rams and, of, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. You're coming with these sacrifices, but your lives are so far uh, from holy uh, before me. Verse 15. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my face from you. Even though you make many prayers... I will not listen to your hands, for I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. God says, you, you make many prayers, I'm turning a deaf ear. Why? Your hands are full of blood. You, you're full of sin. You, you have blatantly defied my word, living contrary to, to my standards, and you expect to come and offer your worship, and that's going to be acceptable to me? No, he says in verse 16, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes, cease to do evil, stop your wickedness. If you want to approach me in your prayers, if you want to approach me in your worship, you must do it in purity and in holiness. And so the same is true as, as we come to corporate prayer. We can't come living a certain lifestyle of unrepentant sin and then expect God to answer our, our, our prayers as a church. Two other texts here. In First Peter 3, 7, I'll read this for you. And Mark read this for us in Sunday school. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them, to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So how you treat your wife, husband, if you're, if you're harsh with your wife, if you do not honor your wife, if you do not properly love your wife, Peter says your prayers will be hindered. And I, and I would say that would be true of any relationship. If, if, you're, if you're mean-spirited and unkind and, and, and ungodly in your uh, relationships with other people, that's going to affect your prayers. Our lives, our, the holiness of our lives, affect our prayer lives. One other text read for us, 1 Timothy 2, in verse 8. Paul says, I desire that the men in, in, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. These men who lead in prayer, they must have holy hands. Don't come together, men, and be quarreling and fighting with one another outside of the prayer room and then come and pray to God and, and lift your hands as if he's going to somehow answer that when there's all of this anger and hostility towards your brothers. So when we come to prayer meeting, we have to come in purity and in holiness both as individuals and as a church, that we can't allow sin to just sort of be accepted among us, but must constantly be killing sin and seeking to have a life of holiness. So free from uh, or in purity and holiness. Secondly, we must come free from contention with one another. And this was highlighted in the 1 Timothy 2.8 passage. 
come with holy hands without anger or quarreling. That is, with, with one another. You can't expect to, to come and pray with one another to God when you're at odds with one another. Jesus highlights this for us in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 23, Jesus said, So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the, before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So this is an example in terms of Old Testament sacrifice. When you're coming to, to worship and you, and you find that you have a tension between you and a brother, don't continue in the act of worship. Go and deal with the issue and then come and give your offering. So when we come to worship, when we come to our prayer meetings, we must make sure that we have short accounts with our brothers and sisters. And if you have a tension, uh, if you have an issue that you need to work out, if, if, your brother, if you've sinned against your brother or sister and you have not reconciled that, do that first. Come free from contention. We, we can't expect to lift a unified voice to God if, if we're at odds with one another. Remember, Paul confronts this in the Lord's Supper. There's all sorts of disunity, and you're, you're supposed to be partaking of, of the Lord's body and blood and, sh- and a symbol of the unity that you have in Christ. And you all are showing your differences. Some are hungry. Some are, some are getting drunk and, and being gluttons. The very service of the Lord's Supper. So we must be free from contention with one another. Thirdly, free from hypocrisy. Free from hypocrisy. We saw this in the introduction to the Lord's Prayer in in Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Well, you say, Jesus says, go by myself and pray. How do we have a corporate prayer meeting then? Jesus' point is, don't pray fundamentally to be seen by others. Pray to your Father. That's that's who uh, hears you. So when we pray corporately, if you are praying in front of others, you're not praying to put on a show of righteousness. You're praying to bring your petitions before God. And so we must be free from hypocrisy. We must pray that God remove that from us. So we're not trying to make a show, but we're trying to simply bring our requests before our Heavenly Father. Fourth, we must come with thankful hearts. It's amazing how how often there is thanksgiving mentioned in terms of prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 17, Paul says, Pray without ceasing. You all, church, pray without ceasing. That would have an individual application to your life, but that also has a corporate application as we noted, that we should always be praying as a body. That when we gather, something that we do is pray. And then verse 18, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And I assume this is through prayer, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So in your praying, don't forget to be thankful. And don't forget to be thankful in all circumstances. That's an all-encompassing term. In Philippians 4, 6, don't, don't be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication, you know, bring your request before God. With thanksgiving, let them be known to God. 
We can't come with a, with a heart that's, that is uh, ungrateful to God. We, we, we can't come with a heart that's complaining to God, whining before God, but a heart that is thankful for all that God has done for us. So we, we must come with thankful hearts. Fifth, we must pray earnestly. Uh, a text in Acts 12 we've looked at a few times over the past two weeks is when Peter is arrested and, and the church is praying for him. It, it says in, in 12.5 of the book of Acts, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. They weren't haphazard in their prayers for Peter as if, well, I, hey, I think we should probably pray for Peter. Let's just bow in, in prayer, you know, be with our brother Peter, comfort him. Amen. But no, they're, they're earnest. They're praying on a daily basis. Remember, we don't know how many days Peter is in prison. They're earnestly bringing their brother who's in a, in a difficult spot. He, he's about to lose his life. So, so we should have some earnestness in our, in our praying. We should have some unction as we pray. We should have great care and concern as we bring our petitions before God. At the pastor's conference, <clears throat> Trinity Baptist Church, I, one of my favorite times is the prayer time. And, and what I am and encouraged by in that time is the earnestness of the men's prayers, of bearing their soul before God in behalf of whatever they are saying. That's a model for us, uh, that we should come with earnestness, with, with unction, as we pray to God. And then finally, as heart matters, we should pray... <clears throat> Things should be done decently and in order. First uh, Corinthians fourteen forty. But all things should be done decently and in order. This could be a practical matter. I just decided to put it here. But First uh, Corinthians fourteen also says God is not the author of confusion. So if you just have people running around and, and things are not so structured, uh, you, there is a godliness. <laughs> to having some things done decently and, and in order. So these are our heart matters. So as you come to, to a prayer meeting, as you come to pray, as you come to worship, you must give yourself a heart check. And if you see one of these areas lacking or, or you see sin in your life, deal with it, repent from it, and have uh, received God's uh, forgiveness and come and pray. So these are heart Matters. Secondly, content matters. What do we pray for when we come together? And I thought Mark is very helpful in the past few weeks in sort of laying out very specific requests that we are to bring when we come. So I'm not going to share too much in specifics, but in terms of what should be our overarching goal as we come to pray. And essentially, we should pray for kingdom matters. Pastor Martin says, the vital concerns of the kingdom of God should be the predominant focus of our ordinary prayer meetings. The vital concerns of the kingdom of God should be our predominant focus. So the, the most important things to the kingdom of God should be the most essential things in our prayer meetings. So pray big when you gather corporately. Prayer meetings can be, become so insular and minuscule in their focus that the great spiritual matters of the kingdom are lost. Pastor Martin says this, the bulk of our prayer meetings should not be taken up with praying extensively for garden variety of Common colds, lumbago, boils, and corns of the feet. No, lamentably, that is the flavor of many a prayer meeting. And maybe you've been in those prayer meetings. I've been in those prayer meetings where 
Someone is going on and on and on about a minuscule, non-threatening health matter, and you're getting more details than are necessary for you to pray effectively for this individual. And it's not just one person. That's the whole prayer meeting. We just go through the list of <clears throat> Aunt Dode's foot fungus and this person's shoulder and, and my feet. And there's appropriate place to pray for health. And there's appropriate place to, to, to pray for sicknesses and even non-threatening health matters. But they should not... Uh, overreach their their importance in the prayer meeting. That should not be the, the fundamental focus of our time, particularly as a corporate uh, prayer meeting, because we, on, we only have so much time uh, to come together, so it should be given to the most essential things. So how do we prevent uh, Aunt Dode syndrome in our prayer meetings? I think one practical way is let the Lord's Prayer be our guide as we've noted before, the Lord's Prayer is not just to guide our individual prayer lives. I think it is a helpful guide. And particularly as we focus on the first part of the Lord's Prayer, which is hallowing God's name, seeking for his kingdom to come, and seeking for his will to be done. And, and there are many big kingdom things, vital concerns, missionary endeavors, evangelization of the lost, etc., etc., that fit under this category. And so that is, is that. But as we get to some, what are maybe some specific uh, requests? Current local church ministry and ministry leaders should, should have concern in the prayer meeting. We should pray for matters of the local church. And the local church ministry, our, our local church here. We, we are reminded, I won't go back to them, but as we've looked in the past a few weeks, Paul consistently asked prayer for his ministry endeavors, that gospel opportunities would be given, that fruit would be had, that he would be delivered from prison, that he would be given boldness. And, and so uh, we should be praying uh, for our own uh, ministry needs here as a church. We should be praying for our church together. We should be praying for the leaders of the church. A pastor, elders, should regularly be prayed for, not only individually by the congregation, but should be regularly upheld in a corporate prayer meeting in their essential office. The deacons of the church should be prayed for in their ministry, in their vital roles. Sunday school teachers should be prayed for. Any other member needs, specific needs, should be prayed for as appropriate in a corporate prayer meeting. We should pray for unity as a body. We should pray for growth. We should pray that the fruit of the Spirit would abound in our midst. We should pray for our outreach. And yes, we should pray for our health matters as well. Anything that touches matters of the local church corporately is proper for corporate prayer meeting. And I think we can all take maybe more responsibility in finding out those needs of others. Ask your your leaders, your pastor, your deacons, your Sunday school teachers. How can I pray for you? How is it teaching four and five-year-olds? How can I pray for you? What are the struggles in the diaconate that I can pray for, we can pray for? We need to know our needs to pray for our needs. So we pray for our needs as a local church. We pray for missionary endeavors. We see Last week we looked at Acts 13 that the church at Antioch set apart Paul and Barnabas and they prayed for their mission and sent them out. And I assume that that church kept on praying for Paul and Barnabas as they were out. We should pray for missionaries. Interesting, uh, <clears throat> in 1 Timothy 2, it, it calls out specifically we should pray for our government. 
First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Why pray? Why mention the government here? They have a vital uh, say in how our lives can be lived out, and they can make it very easy or they can make it very difficult. And so because of the, the... the vast amount of influence that rulers have, they should uh, get our prayers. They should have our prayers individually and as we come together, so our government as well. As I said, I I feel like the, the specifics of what we should pray for have been covered sufficiently before, so those are just a few things in terms of content. And, and with the goal of we want to keep it big, We want to keep the vital concerns of the kingdom of God that should be our predominant focus. And that can take on a myriad of of, uh, how that looks on a practical level, but that should be our guiding principle as we think about our prayer meetings. Last category here is practical matters. Two resources have been helpful, and I've just sort of... uh, Pick some out that that is helpful. Thomas Murphy's pastoral theology, I think, has some helpful uh, points that can help us uh, reflect on what is an effective prayer meeting. And then uh, John Newton has some help for those who actually pray out loud during the prayer meeting. So let's look at some of these principles. Once again, some of the, uh, you know, many of these are... They may already be enacted here, but it's just to keep these things in our minds and to make us better and effective at what we're already doing. Thomas Murphy's first principle here, let the prayer meeting be made interesting and it will be well attended. Let the prayer meeting be made interesting and it will be well attended. What's he's getting at here? We go back to the Aunt Dode's foot syndrome type prayer meetings. That if, if you come to prayer meeting and it's just tedious, minuscule requests about seemingly insignificant matters, that is not going to encourage people to show up. But if we keep the big things of the, of the kingdom central in our prayer meetings, that will make it exciting. I was thinking back on last week's prayer meeting of just the excitement that, that we had. Into, we took longer than normal to talk about one missionary endeavor in Pakistan and, and to really delve into some details and to be encouraged at what this small congregation is doing uh, in this uh, land that's, that's filled with, with Islam. How encouraging is that to come and hear uh, of gospel work and in lands abroad and outside of our own world around us and to, to see that. So I think that the, the missionary prayers are vital to keep us outside of ourselves and to keep uh, us excited about God is building his kingdom. I was thinking back to this, uh, this past, I think it was this past week, there was a group of Anglican uh, bishops in the Anglican Church that, that basically excommunicated the Archbishop of Canterbury. They basically said, you, you, you want to bless homosexual marriage, you have disqualified yourself from your office, and we, we will no longer uh, listen to you. And where did the meeting take place of, of bishops in the Anglican Church uh, uh, coming against their... Uh, it's not the Pope of the, of the Anglican Church, but sort of first among equals, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Where did they meet? Rwanda. Africa. They didn't meet in Europe. They didn't meet in the United States. They met in Africa. And what encouraging things we, we see from the global south that maybe we don't see in, in the West. Uh, that's encouraging. And these should be brought to our prayer meetings. God is building his kingdom. So let the prayer meeting be made interesting and it will be well attended. Secondly, the prayer meeting should be carefully guarded against all scolding, grumbling, and fault finding. The prayer meeting should be guarded against all scolding, grumbling, and fault finding. 
I, I don't think this is a problem here, but I just bring it to our attention because it can be easily be a problem, and I've seen it before. That the prayer meeting becomes the center of negative talk. It's, it, pastors can easily, you know, this is their means of spanking their congregation, of you should be in the prayer meeting, and, and then during the prayer meeting, these people who aren't in the prayer meeting should be in the prayer meeting, and, and it becomes a, a, a way to berate and belittle the congregation. It becomes negative. It doesn't create an, an environment of joy and peace. As I said in the first sermon, we should have a, a, a we should uphold uh, the prayer meeting with our language, with our speech, avoiding negative uh, speech about it. So, for all of us, we should avoid such scolding, grumbling, or fault finding uh, with one another, but but cast it in positive terms. We should have a warm, loving atmosphere in the prayer meeting that is welcoming to all. I've thought, you know, well, maybe someone's nervous to come to the prayer meeting after the prayer meeting sermon. So, like, well, I feel like I should start coming, but then people will just judge me of, of you're just coming because corporate prayer meeting was talked about. And the, and the one, you know, to that person, come whatever judgment is made of you if you believe it's in obedience to God's word. And secondly, we, you know, and I don't think they would be uh, judged for coming, but we should be warm and welcoming to all and thankful for anyone uh, who attends. Secondly, under this category, I thought was a helpful comment by Pastor Martin related, overseers must not allow the prayer meeting in their assemblies to degenerate into seasons of corporate whining to God over petty interests or concerns. We must not come, uh, this is going back to, we come with thankful hearts. We, our prayer meeting should not devolve into uh, whining sessions of just, the world is horrible, the, the church is so compromised, and, and we just sort of bring our, our, our complaints to God. And, and prayer meetings can easily devolve to that. I don't think that's our problem here, but I bring that before us, that we must guard against that. Thirdly, Brevity is essential to the life and interests of the prayer meeting. This may be hard for some of us who like to talk. And so the point here is that uh, unnecessarily elongating our talk is something we should guard against. Uh, and it's not as if the prayer meeting should have this uh, fast pace, and it's not as if we should feel that we can't go into detail or ask any questions. That's not the point. But the point is we must guard our speech so that we're not necessarily uh, delaying or, or uh, making the prayer meeting uh, drawn out in an unnecessary way. So brevity is the central. We, uh, if you've spent uh, time in your, your own devotions and prayer, and if you're in a corporate prayer meeting, that takes a level of discipline to be still and silent and praying for a long period of time. So that is already a test of our, of our capacities. And so we can help that by avoiding unnecessary talk in the prayer meetings to, to lengthen them unnecessarily. Fourthly, variety should be observed in the mode of conducting the services. There's no one hard, fast uh, order of service for a prayer meeting. And so it's appropriate at times to uh, vary your structure of your prayer meetings. Pastor Martin suggests you could do a prayer meeting uh, wholly devoted to unsaved children at one point. You can have a prayer meeting over uh, a certain outreach. We're going to devote the whole prayer meeting to a certain outreach or, or a missionary endeavor. We're going to devote uh, a prayer meeting to focus on, on one thing. The point is, you don't. There is no set in stone structure. There are principles to guide us, so it's okay to be varied in structure. Fifth, he says this: spirited singing is an important aid to the prayer meeting. And I thought this quote was was helpful. It is better to sing often and but a few verses at a time. So maybe he structured his prayer meeting where it was broken up with a few verses here or there. And I thought if 
Maybe if your prayer meeting's going long, you can break it up and, and get some fresh air by singing a few verses. Spirited singing is an important aid to, to the prayer meeting. And finally, under this, a sense of the divine presence should be cherished in every meeting. That when we gather for us on a Wednesday night, we, we do come and we do socialize and we do enjoy each other's company. But in our prayer meeting, our, our solemn focus should be that we meet our God. The, a sense of the divine presence that God has promised that where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there. And we're expecting that from God as we come together. That should be cherished. That should be guarded in our prayer meetings, a sense of the divine presence. So these, I thought, were helpful in just uh, thinking through some practical matters of, of, of having an effective corporate prayer meeting. Lastly here, uh, just some notes from John Newton for us on those who actually pray. Now I do want to note here, even if you don't pray out loud, everyone in the prayer meeting must be praying. That as we noted in the, in the book of Acts in chapter 1, that it's a, they were all together with the women and Jesus' brothers were devoting themselves to prayer. They were all praying. So the, the men are asked to lead us in prayer. They're not just asked to pray, meaning they are asked to help bring us all, all our petitions before the throne. And so it's difficult to keep focus, and, but we should all be seeking to pray even if our voice is not audible to others. We're, we're, uh, and that's where it's appropriate to say amen in a prayer meeting. You are petitioning along with uh, the, the brother that is leading us, and you say amen, because I'm, I'm agreeing, and I'm asking for the same thing that my brother is seeking from you. So as we talk about those who pray, I just wanted to note that everyone should be praying in the prayer meeting. But here are some uh, things from Newton. And I've changed the words a little bit to make a better outline. <clears throat> First, avoid verbosity. Kids, verbosity is when you use unnecessary words. John Newton says this, but it is, better, but it is the better of the two that the hearers should wish the prayer had been longer then spend half or a considerable part of the time in wishing it was over. So maybe some of us are guilty of that. Meaning, we don't need to go on in necessary, unnecessary length. We, we know what we're to pray for, and we bring that simply with childlike faith to our Heavenly Father. So avoid verbosity. Avoid preaching. Newton notes, the prayers of some men are more like preaching than praying. And, and you've, you know, you may have experienced this. And so we must, we're, we're praying. We're bringing our requests before God. We don't need uh, all of our uh, convictions and our personal exhortations to come out in our, in our praying. But we're just simply bringing our petitions before God. Thirdly, avoid rigid Formality. And so there is this balance of <clears throat> we are praying to God Almighty, but He is our Heavenly Father. So when we pray, we don't, we don't need prayer language. We don't need to sound, uh, we don't need a prayer voice. I, I don't know, I've known, known people, they, they pray way different than they talk, which it shouldn't be that way. And there is like this, there's no formal structure that must be followed in this formality. There is a reverence, there is a respect for God, but, but, but He is our Father. 
And he has called us to come and, and bring our petitions with childlike faith. And so we must avoid rigid formality. Next, avoid vain repetition. Many, this is Newton, many, perhaps most people who pray in public have some favorite word or expression that recurs too often in their prayers and is frequently used as a mere expletive, having no necessary connection with the sense of what they are speaking. And I assume by expletive there he just means filler words. And you... uh, we're all guilty of this, of when you pray, you keep repeating the same words. And this often happens with God's name. People repeat, repeat uh, the, God's name, and they're, not, they're just doing it out of a, out of a repetition. Uh, and Newton notes that in particular. I, I'm not quite saying that it's taking the Lord's name in vain, but I think we should avoid such unnecessary uh, use. So this is where we need, we need our brothers and sisters to help us, and we need a little bit of humility to receive that if, if we notice uh, something, or, or maybe, you know, if your men, your wives can help you if you have a, a certain pet word that is... Um, the problem is people then pick up on that and they're listening for your pet words rather than what you're actually praying for. So if we're plain in our speech, and if we avoid any sort of repetitious language that distracts people... Uh, That actually helps. And that's the whole point of this. Let all things be done for edification. So hopefully you take this uh, uh, kindly and and we're all working together. We're all trying to pray in such a way that helps uh, the brethren the most. Finally here, avoid extremes in voice. Meaning, if you're too soft when you pray... Your brethren can't hear you. And if they can't hear you, they can't be edified by your words. So you must speak in such a way that that your brethren can hear you. But on another hand, you must not be so loud that they think you're screaming. And so avoid extremes in your voice. Speak in such a way that you can be heard clearly and plainly to whatever context uh, you are in that can be heard. So hopefully these things are helpful and, and you uh, take them at face value there. If, uh, if you pray, if you're called on to pray in the prayer meeting, use some of these as a guide to help you uh, in your public praying. But more than that, you should work, uh, more important than this is your own heart. So don't focus so much on the formality at the expense of your heart. Rather, do the most due diligence there, and then and then and then work on these things. These can all help us. Okay, so hopefully you've tracked in all of these random thoughts on corporate prayer meetings. Let's try to bring some closure to the study. And I thought Thomas Murphy. bring this quote before you. He said, The piety and usefulness of the church are most intimately connected with its prayer meeting. The piety and usefulness of the church are most intimately connected with its prayer meeting. It's the thermometer of the church. If the prayer meeting's cold, likely the congregation is cold. If the prayer meeting's hot, likely the congregation is hot. If people are committed to gathering together and praying and and interceding before God, that says a lot about the people and the congregation. So as we think about this this prayer meeting thing, this this just isn't a, a, a... a peripheral thing that we do as a congregation. Uh, this this study is not uh, uh, just. Uh, this is this is something you should just you know consider. It's it's slightly important. To, no, this is vital. This is central to our life and mission as a local congregation, and must be given its due diligence. 
The piety and the usefulness of the church are most intimately connected with its prayer meetings. This is of a most essential thing to the life of a congregation. So as we close this sermon and this series, let us give due attention to the biblical truths presented to us in it. God has called his people to pray together. He has announced a special blessing on such prayer meetings, and it is our biblical duty to obey God's command so that we can experience his blessing on corporate prayer. So by way of final uh, exhortation, for those who maybe don't attend the, the prayer meeting, might I exhort you to do so? And, you know, here he goes again. This is what this is about. He's got to get that in. Got to make me feel bad. Once again, it's, it's not to try to grab you by the ear to pull you into the prayer meeting, but it should, it should, hopefully I've whet your appetite that you desire such a meeting. Why do I want you to attend? The, I want you to attend to be blessed. Come and receive the joy of the prayer meeting. Come and receive the blessing. And come with the right motive. And so this information has been put before you and you must wrestle with this biblically of, of your attendance. And remember, there are caveats. People have certain uh, occupations and commitments, right commitments that prevent them. And this isn't uh, to, to bring shame on such people. But I also think... Uh, as I read in someone's saying, we don't, have, we don't run out of excuses for not to attend the prayer meeting. And so maybe you need to reconsider uh, how you could uh, attend and make that a biblical priority. I have a few suggest, creative suggestions of maybe, uh, I just thought of maybe situations that that. It could be helpful. Sometimes we get stuck in our own rut, in our thinking, and think something's impossible. And then if someone gives us a different perspective, maybe uh, we find it. Maybe your kids have a certain bedtime, and you say, well, we can't come because the kids have to be in bed by 8, and I could never make a prayer meeting. Well, maybe one week your husband can put the kids to bed while you attend the prayer meeting and maybe the next week the wife puts the bed the kids to bed while while the husband attends the prayer meeting maybe you say well to attend the prayer meeting on a weekly basis would be <clears throat> just it would be too exhausting it would be it would be overwhelming to my life and work and family commitments and that may be true but maybe you make a commitment that, well, once a month, I'm going to come to the prayer meeting. I don't come at all, but I'm going, to make a, I'm going to make a commitment to once a month to be in the prayer meeting. And I'm just going to know on that day, I, I got to come straight from work, and I got to pack my extra PB&J, and I'm going to be tired, or the kids are going to go to bed a little bit later that night. But I know that this is such a blessing and I desire as much as possible to be there, and so I'm just going to make a commitment once a month to come to the prayer meeting. So maybe you have to be creative in, in your uh, attendance, but, but be committed to that. As I, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, people look back on their lives and they say, you know, I, I spent too much time doing this, I regret that. I spent too much time golfing and I wasn't with my kids. I spent too much time in my work and I, and I, I miss blessings in. I don't think anyone would look back on their life, uh, on a life committed to corporate prayer and say that was a mistake. Oh, what I could have done on those Wednesday nights that I gathered to pray with the saints for great kingdom matters. I don't think any believer would look back in their life and we did talk in prayer meeting once there are many here that have attended prayer meeting for many years and I don't think any of you would say it was time wasted 
So it's worth come and be blessed. Come and receive joy. Now for those of you who, who regularly attend, there is still an exhortation for you. Guard your heart. You, you may attend physically, but you are, no, you are not spiritually fit to profit from the meeting. So the best thing you can do is to, to give yourself to godly living, to killing sin, having short accounts with your, with your brothers. Guard your heart so that you have a vital union with God and with your, with your, your brethren. And as your holiness grows and your relationship to, uh, to God grows, so does the effectiveness of the corporate prayer meeting. So, so guard your heart. And secondly, it, grow in your joy in the prayer meeting. It's not as if, you know, every week we go there and it's just the wow factor. It's rather ordinary. It's rather simple. Nothing extreme happens. So in that ordinary thing, you may get in a rut and, and you, you, your joy in the prayer meeting may be uh, waning. Ask God to help you to have, have more joy in this, to not feel drudgery if you do at times, to not grow weary, but to be able to persevere in intense prayer uh, in that time. And let's exhort and, and encourage one another all the more as a congregation uh, in our prayer lives, both individually and as, uh, as a congregation. As, as we saw last week, uh, you know, I said, things happen when the church prays. So, so might we see things happen in our lives, in our congregation, in our community, in our nation, as we are more committed to gathering together to, to pray to our God. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you bend your ear, as it were, to hear our prayers. It is amazing that I am sure many of us can look back to our own prayers and see your kind answer to them. We could go through our prayer meeting books, Lord, and see your faithfulness in answering our prayers. And we can't look and, and, and just say, well, that would have happened anyways. We must acknowledge that you, by your grace, Use our prayers in some way to bring about change, to bring healing to people, to, to advance missionary causes, to, to bring about a gospel advancement in the world. We thank you that that is true. Lord, would we be better prayers together? Help us to grow in our joy. Help us to grow in our participation. And might we see great fruit from our prayer gatherings. In Jesus' name, amen.